You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Let me assure you, there is no other book like this book. And this book claims to be and proves itself to be the Word of God. This is the Word of God. I hold it in my hand. This is the Word of God. You say, I really need God to speak to me, but He just doesn't speak to me. When's the last time you opened the book? No, I mean that. Really. Isn't it amazing? Anytime night or day, and we live in a country where we have the freedom to to have this, we don't have to hide it. We can carry the Word of God with us. We can have it in our homes. Sometimes it can be easy to get confused about how God speaks to us as His children. Oftentimes we assume that God will speak to us in an audible voice because that's how we're used to being spoken to. But think about all of the other ways that you communicate with those that you're closest to. You probably know exactly what they want by a simple head nod or a dart of the eyes. God is the same way. He's personable. The more that you know Him, the more that you understand how He speaks to you. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 3, as he continues his message, Jesus' Call and Commission. devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. That's when they went to their homes. Let me give you another very practical illustration. Some of us that have been a part of this church for a while, when we have that little period after the worship song service, uh, and we say, say, say hi to somebody. You sit in the same area every week. You have other people that sit in the same area. And at the very least, you have been saying hi to them long enough now that you know them on a first name basis. You might even know where they work. Some of us, maybe you said, hey, you want to go to lunch together? And maybe you go to lunch on some kind of regular basis. And you get to know one another better. But let me tell you this. If if in that same group, let's just say you got eight to ten people around you that you say hi to pretty much regularly in a church service here. Take those eight, ten to twelve people. Go to somebody's home. Have a meal. Or even without the meal. Hang out for two or three hours. Maybe you have a Bible study, but you hang out afterwards, you have coffee, you have whatever, you know, and you just sit around and talk. You do that, and you do that regularly. Your relationship deepens. And you'll find that some people in that group you seem to draw closer to than even others. That happened with these 12. Not that Jesus loved one more than the other or these more than those. But you find Peter, James, and John became his inner circle of the inner circle. They got to go places with him that the other nine didn't go. And among those three, John became known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not that he didn't love the others. Why do you think he didn't choose 24? 36. 
He chose 12. That they might be with him because it's those 12 people and him being the center of their whole reason for life. And as their relationships deepened, they were more sanctified. Folks, nothing has changed. If you don't take this meeting to what the blueprint in the book of Acts takes it, and other scriptures in the New Testament clearly take it, please understand, you'll never, ever be totally sanctified. You can attend this church for 20 years and never go as deep as the Lord intends you to go because your Christian community is so limited and your relationships with other believers are so shallow that he can't take you where he wants to take you because you haven't taken the steps to get there. I say that in all love. But that's the truth. Here's what the Lord gave me. Relationships built through more intimate church gatherings are essential for Christian growth, maturity, and stability. That's exactly what the Word backs up. Now let me tell you the second thing. By the way, that's why we have what we call life groups. They're not the only means of Christian community on a smaller scale, more deep scale. There are other ways to do that. Just getting involved and serving can help do that. Uh, our first life group, I don't know what we called it then. I think it was called kinship groups. And I started the first one or one of the first ones. And only two people came. And they came just to hand me a bowl of chili and say, we can't stay. <laughs> Honest to God. And that first one, and I'm the pastor of the church, nobody stayed. Nobody came. I ate more chili that night than any human being should be allowed to eat. And I paid for it the next day, but it, that's another. But I knew it was biblical, and that's why we didn't give up on it. And that's why we have some 50 life groups, and that's not nearly enough. Look at the size of our church. We need 300 life groups if everybody was willing to be a part of one and open up your home and host one. essential. Now, before I go, move on, I got I to gotta move on, but let's turn that around. Turn that around. If your deepest, closest relationships aren't with other Christians, then if you have deep, close relationships, that means they're with non-Christians. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. And now you have your closest human relationships in life, and instead of encouraging you more towards sanctification for the Lord, they're at best, if they're religious at all, just encouraging you to, well, be religious. You see how the other side of that works in a negative fashion? Another reason for going deep in Christian relationships. Now, the second thing in regard to their commission that they might be with him that's essential, not only Christian community, but the word of God. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I think that's interesting in light of the next verse. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. You know the word of God was essential to Jesus' success? When he was tempted by the devil, and the record we have, when he was tempted, what did he do? When he was tempted, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, what did he do? Every single time he said, it is written. 
What kept him on track? What kept him motivated? The truth of the word of God. And he's the son of God. If he needs it, boy. Every time to win the battle against the enemy, he quoted scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. I think it's interesting too when you read verse 20 of John 17. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. So he's praying for those who were physically there when he was physically here, who had become disciples and followers of Christ. But he says, I'm not praying for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He prayed for me. If you know Christ, he prayed for you. If you're going to come to know Christ in a future day, and I pray you will if you don't know him now, he prayed for you. That means that sanctify them, those who will become believers, by the truth. Your word is truth. And your success in being sent out and your calling into the world as a Christian is totally dependent on, at least in part, this book. Now, let me say this. I've never heard God in an audible voice. Most Christians I know have never heard God speak in audible voice. They hear with our physical senses. Doesn't mean God does not speak with an audible voice at times. We have record that he's done that in history. But some people say, I just, I, I just, I just, the Lord just doesn't speak to me. For whatever reason, God has chosen to use human agents, agents, and he's inspired them by the Holy Spirit and moved by the Holy Spirit. They've pinned down over a hundred of years, 66 books. Those 66 books have been compiled in what we call the Bible. And let me assure you, there is no other book like this book. And this book claims to be and proves itself to be the Word of God. This is the Word of God. I hold it in my hand. This is the Word of God. You say, I really need God to speak to me, but he just doesn't speak to me. When's the last time you opened the book? No, I mean that. Really. Isn't it amazing? Anytime night or day, and we live in a country where we have the freedom to, to have this, we don't have to hide it. We can carry the Word of God with us. We can have it in our homes. You can put it in a hotel room. They let the Gideons do it. And any time, night or day, you can open this book and God can speak. Just as real as an audible voice. This is the word of God. God said to Joshua, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So that you may be able to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. You know, Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 and 19, God required all the kings of Israel to personally write for themselves a copy of the Bible of their day so that they might read it all the days of their life and do what's said in it. You know that most of those kings, if you study their history, most of them ignored that law. And if you read how they turned out, they didn't turn out very well. They were terrible kings, most of them. Many of them, their lives ended in destruction and misery. And if they'd have just done what God said. That's how essential the word is. That's why 2 Timothy tells us all scriptures God breathed. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So that the man of God or the woman of God, the child of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's essential for success. You're going to fail without it. I love Psalm 119, not because of its length. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, longest of the Psalms. 
If you get a daily Bible reading plan, the Victory Bible reading plan is the one I'm using right now. It takes me through every year reading the Bible. I have been on more aggressive plans, and I commend you to those. Uh, I did my own a few years ago, but start with something manageable. But if you do the Victory Bible plan, I love it because when you get to Psalm 119, they give you two days to read it because it's so long. And all of Psalm 119 is about the Word of God. Psalm 119, 105 is one of my favorite. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'll never forget years ago when God showed me the practicality of that. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, Lord, guide me today in truth. The light unto our path, that's eternal perspective. The lamp unto our feet, that's daily, 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 daily. And then the light in my path, that's eternally. Help me to live my life today based on truth and help me to live my life based on an eternal perspective. A new Christian and an immature Christian will get most, if not all, of the Word of God in a meeting like this. For some of us, sad to say, our history is you won't really hear the Word of God again until you come back to church. And that's a shame. Because it doesn't have to be like that. And the reason you're not totally sanctified and you're not growing the way you should be is the next time you hear the Word of God will be when I speak it or somebody speaks it from a pulpit or a stage or wherever, a church service. And just like we need to take the corporate meeting where we are with Him down to a more personal level, and now you take it to an even more personal level, whereas now it's not just Christian community. Now it's I can get alone with just me and the Lord. And I can do that anytime I want. I can get along with God. I can open this book and I can hear His Word. I want to close this way. What is it keeping us from being with Him? What is it? And there's a number of possibilities. And one is you just have no desire. And the reason you don't have any desire is because you've never been born again. You have no spiritual foundation in terms of having a relationship with Christ. And until you have a real relationship with Christ, no wonder you don't want to get alone and get in the Word of God or hear the Word of God on a more regular basis. You don't have a desire because you don't have a relationship. It is what it is. And the only cure is for you to repent and receive him as Lord and Savior and be born again. And then once the Spirit of God comes in and dwells inside you and creates a new person inside, and that Holy Spirit creates a longing and a hunger for God and to know him more. You can't be introduced to him personally and not want to get to know him better. Not possible. But some people don't have the desire because they've never been born again. They can talk to you about God. They can talk to you about the Bible. But, you know, you watch their lives. They're not really desiring to be with Him because they don't know Him. Second, think about this one. You take the step from the larger gathering of being with him today and you take steps and you persevere and you give time to develop some real good, deep, intimate Christian relationships. And here's what's going to happen. 
you're going to find out they're just as imperfect as you are. They may be more mature in some degree. Uh, They may have been walking with the Lord longer, and because of that, they are more mature. But you're going to find, you watch them, you get to know them, and they're going to make mistakes just like you do. And I don't have time and don't need to go through the examples in the New Testament of those who really love the Lord and realize the reality of deep Christian community is you got to learn to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. You got to learn to bear with one another in love. We got to learn to put up with one another because we're all imperfect. And when Jesus comes and we're all, all with him, man, we're all going to get along then. Isn't that going to be great? Every one of you going to like me then. And I'm going to like every one of you. You say, you don't love me? I didn't say I didn't love you. I love some people I don't like. Come on now. We both know that reality. Come on. Can I get a witness? Thank you. All right. Sin will always keep you from him. Isn't it amazing what our great-grandparents did, the first human beings on the planet, Adam and Eve? And when they disobeyed the Lord, what's the first thing they did? They hid. Think about that. They hid from the Lord. There's a hide-and-seek game you're going to lose every time, buddy. Let's play hide-and-seek. Who are we going to hide from? God. Where are you going to hide? Oh, I got the perfect place. Really? Where where is that? He sees all. He knows all. Everything is unbared, laid bare. And yet that's what we do still today. Even though we know, we laugh, we go, yeah, hiding from God. But we still... Why is it that somebody in this service probably, you, you have some sin in your life, you know it's not just a stumble, it's a, it's a habit, it's a habit. And you know God's not pleased with it, and you know you need to stop it. And maybe nobody else knows about it but God. So why are you hiding? Because darkness hates light. Because what happens when light comes in? It exposes the darkness. But the best thing that could happen to you is you let that darkness be exposed. You come out, you come out, and you come clean. Because as long as you continue that habit, as long as you continue in that sin, you'll never be with him. There'll never be the fellowship. You'll never grow. You'll never be victorious. Busyness. Sometimes busyness in ministry. Mary and Martha. Martha, Martha, she's there serving the Lord and doing all the preparations for the, for the church. Lord, don't you care that my sister's not helping? And that's some people. They're serving the Lord and their attitude is, how come they didn't sign up for children's ministry? I signed up for it. Wait a minute. You, you got an attitude and you're serving? Yeah, but they're, look at what they're doing. They're just, well, why don't you just pause? Don't stop serving. But are you serving and not sitting at his feet? If you learn to sit at his feet as the priority before serving, then you'll serve with the right attitude. Because then you're serving for him and your focus is him and not what somebody else is doing that you think you think they're out of the will of God. Which she wasn't, Mary. She's chosen what's better. It will not be taken from her. Lukewarmness. Isn't this an interesting one? Church of Laodicea. 
the lukewarm church. Here I am. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open the door, I'll come in. Isn't it interesting? Not one specific sin is mentioned about the church of Laodicea. Not the sexual sin mentioned in two out of the seven letters to the seven churches there in Revelation. Theirs wasn't sexual sin. Theirs was just simply they weren't giving it their all. Which leads me to my last point. Some people just don't have the will. And will is synonymous with discipline. And the reason you haven't developed and maintained a time, and the goal should be daily, give us this day our daily bread. And the reason you don't have a time where you get along with God and get in the Word of God on a regular basis is not because you don't have desire, maybe, but because you just don't have the will and the discipline. That's the message. What you do with it is up to you. What page was it? Wow, I was just testing you. It's called Soul Care, a book I read years ago, and tremendous book by a fellow named Peter Lord. I need to call Peter this week. Help me, Lord, to do that. He was a pastor for many years, still a pastor, just not paid to be a pastor now. Let's try an analogy, he says, a parable for pastors. Think about what he means by this. A rancher, certain rancher has a pasture for his large herd of cattle. On one end of the pasture is a steep cliff. The pasture has not been well tended, so the grass is dead in most places. Looking for good grass, the cattle wander aimlessly. Because the fence is down, some of them fall off the cliff in their search for food. Where's the rancher in all of this? Why is he not restoring the pastures for good grazing and repairing the fences to protect the cattle? He's too busy at the foot of the cliff, taking care of the cattle that have tumbled off and hoping to save some of them. These are the emergency cases. He's also spent a lot of time chasing strays that have wandered into the wilderness where they are very easy prey for predators or onto the neighboring rancher's pasture land. That's another church. <laughs> Added to this is his continual preoccupation with the science of animal husbandry and his attendance at seminars on cattle care so as to keep up with the latest methods. He has no time to build fences at the top of the cliff or restore the pastures. This little scenario gives you a good idea of what the average preacher does and why the church is in the shape that it's in today. And unfortunately, I hear from others out here that this is still true today. And I'm sad to say it is. The typical pastor preaches on Sunday and runs an ambulance service at the bottom of the cliff during the week. Monday through Saturday, church leaders take care of the real crises, those needing immediate attention. The emergencies take a pastor's mind off the need to build fences at the top of the cliff. Most of his time and energy is spent on repair work and preparing the Sunday message. Now, I think it's important to take time to prepare the message. That's not his point here. He's been taught that a powerful sermon is the best way to keep people from running off the cliff. But true crisis prevention is not part of most pastors' training. And then he says, as a pastor, I've often felt like a lifeguard supervising hundreds of people in the pool at the same time. I'm so busy pulling people to safety after they get into trouble in deep water that I don't have time to teach them how to swim. If you've been listening today, what I've been trying to teach you is how to swim. Due to lack of proper instruction, some people give up swimming forever. Some people timidly hang around the pool but never dive in. Some do take the plunge but have to be pulled out over and over again. Some drown. I can teach you how to swim, but the rest is up to you.
Thanks for joining us today to study the book of Mark on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings throughout the Bible at our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well to stay up to date with the latest teachings and videos. Feel free to share them with your friends and family. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send that email. In addition to that, we'd love to meet you in person. So if you're in the St. Petersburg area, join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We're also live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. We look forward to worshiping with you. Find out more on our website. Once more, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. There's more to learn in the book of Mark. Pastor Danny will continue looking into this important gospel book right here on The Living Word.